Hello and welcome to Sutton Wire. I'm Councillor Neil Garrett and this is the new weekly podcast from Sutton Conservatives, letting you know what's going on locally, what the council is up to, and as your elected representatives, what we're doing on your behalf. This week I'll be talking to Councillor Tim Crowley to find out what's going on with this huge parking consultation that's causing a lot of confusion and looks like it might create as many new parking problems as it solves. And if you've noticed that the streets near you aren't being properly swept or the litter bins are overflowing, I have a quick update later on that too. And finally, if you subscribe to Sutton Wire, you'll be able to download our new episodes automatically. So you can look for us on Apple or Google podcast apps and on Spotify. Right, on to our first item. I'm here with Councillor Tim Crowley, who's the leader of the Conservative group and leader of the opposition here in Sutton. And we're looking at the parking strategy that the Liberal Democrat Council has proposed. There are um, consultations ongoing on that. And if you can bring us up to speed, Tim, on how we got to where we are. Oh, thanks, Neil. Um, what happened really was uh, over the course of the last six or seven years since I've been a councillor, um, the parking strategy tended to be looked at on a local committee basis and it used to be rolled out street by street and a lot of people used to bring street issues to the local committees for them to look at and the council have looked at this and decided that that wasn't very efficient and so two or three years ago they decided that they wanted to look at an overall parking strategy for the borough which would then look at the problem roads and they would then either put in CPZs, do nothing, or residence parking areas. And this has resulted now in a situation where for the last two years, no parking schemes have been acted whatsoever. Right. And there are areas within the borough that have been crying out for parking schemes over the last two years that are definitely needed, for example, around St. Helier Hospital, mm -hmm. uh, the close proximity to St Helier Hospital, I should say, also around some of the stations, such as very close to Carshalton Station or very close to Hackbridge Station. Now, we have to bear in mind that there are already some CPZs in the borough anyway, in the middle of so just, Town Just Centre. to clarify for people, CPZ, what does, that, what does that mean? Yes, that's a controlled parking zone. Now, a controlled parking zone means that they will put bays on the roads, and if you live in that road, you will then get a certain number of parking permits to use. You put them in your car and you will then be entitled to park outside of your house. You have to, you have to pay for those? You do. You have yeah. to pay, I think it's £50 at the moment for the residence parking permits. However, if you have people come to visit you, that obviously means, and you haven't got to drive, that obviously means you're going to need they a have permit to park in the road. for them as well. Yeah. And for, I think it's £50, you can buy 50 hours of parking permits. But you can imagine they could go quite quickly. If you have someone turn up for a day, maybe that's eight hours. You only got sort of six or seven of those and they're all gone. But you can buy more and, and then more you, have and more. To, you have to keep buying more. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. So we've got to a situation where the first phase of this parking strategy um, is being rolled out. And that in particular is in 
the spine of something, I would call it. There are three phases that are going to be rolled out um, in the east and the west and in the centre. And we're doing the central ones at the moment. And that, in the main, is going to impact mostly on the really high density areas in the borough, such as St Helier Estate, the Ben Hill Estate, or um, up near Shanklin Estate in Belmont. And as such, uh, we have just finished the second stage of consultation, which meant that it went out to residents after stage one, which happened in 2017. And they've asked for comments on the proposals. And this has been quite controversial. Yeah, I think one of the... Actually, firstly, Shanklin uh, isn't in this first phase. They're just going partway up Brighton Road. Shanklin, we'll come on to in a moment, Shanklin is in the next bit they're looking at, along with Cheam and the rest of Belmont and Carshalton Beaches. I think, I think one of the questions is how is it that there's so much parking pressure on the street? I mean, it seems to me the, the council has had for a long time a policy of deliberately creating pressure for parking on the street by a planning policy that doesn't really allow developers to provide off-street parking. Like if you think about St Helier Hospital, that's obviously the big source of parked cars or a major source of parked cars up in around the St Helier estate, visitors, staff, uh, patients and so on. Um, and I understand they wanted to put in a bigger car park. Yes, yeah, so there's a two-storey um, uh, sort of funny structure when you go into uh, the St Helier car park that's at the rear yeah. and they originally applied for a four-storey car park there and we as the planning authority turned it down yeah. so in some respects we've created pressure for ourselves well, on that yeah I mean I, I think that's the thing that people will find frustrating is because they're being told they're going to have to pay to park outside their house in St yeah. Helier because of all of the parking pressure created by the hospital and the hospital wanted a bigger car park to deal with it and the council told them they couldn't have one so there's a it's not quite obvious what the logic is that that underlies that Decision, really. No, um, and uh, obviously if you live very close to the hospital, um, those pressures are very, very real. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because the hospital doesn't shut down at night. There are people coming and going all of the time. And especially when staff are having to pay nine, ten pounds a day to park within that car park. They don't get free passes to park in that car mm. park. And one of the issues that we've been really looking at is whether or not there have been ongoing conversations between St Helier Hospital yep. and the council to try and alleviate some of the pressures and come up with a possible yep. solution that will help the local people that live close to the hospital because yeah. they're the ones who are affected most. Well, yeah. I mean, if you have to pay a tenner to park in the hospital, then a free space on a road nearby, you can see why people do it, yes. even, even though it obviously creates a lot of annoyance yes. for the people living nearby. I think the other, the other aspect of this that that seems to have generated a lot of upset is this emissions-based parking charging. You mentioned earlier that it's £50 for your permit, but of course it's it ranges up to £200 depending on the emissions category of your car, what what you know what uh, car tax band it's in. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the issues that that's really flagged up is that older cars in particular tend to be in higher bands, even if they're not particularly you know if they're very they can be a very normal car, but they end up being in quite a high band if it's an older car. And of course, people who are less well off, who are driving an older car, then get hit by the council under this plan with a higher charge. And I think a lot of people are quite aggrieved about that. Well, it doesn't seem to be very fair or equitable to us in that uh, if you live in one of the leafier suburbs of the borough and you've got a huge driveway, you can stick your big four cars on there. And they are maybe we call them Chelsea tractors or Range Rovers or whatever else. Um, then you don't get hit with that yeah. whatsoever. 
But if you um, happen to have an old van that you want to stick outside your house because you happen to work and you have to come back at night and park it there, you will get hit hard. And in fact, van drivers, people who are working, are going to get hit even worse because if you've got a category called an N1, a van, a work van, if it is not registered to your address, you will not be allowed to park it within the controlled parking zones. And they've said that it's part of a parking policy that was introduced in 2016. So in effect, this parking policy could put people out of business. It could put them out of work. I see, the event we went to, actually, it was in Overton School a couple of weeks ago. There was an evening meeting with the, with the uh, officers who were working on this. And that was exactly the point that one of the people there made. He works for a, uh, he's a boiler servicing and repair company he's got you know his branded van but he has to keep it at home because obviously he gets in it in the morning keeps all his stuff in it gets in it and drives off to his mm -hmm. appointments over the day and he said he already has to park it several streets away because he's in the existing cpz and that sort of works for now albeit that the people on the other road then get a van parked there which isn't from their road but the strategy that the lib dem seem to be pursuing is to make almost the entire borough as CPZ, as far as I can work out, which means that all of those vans then get displaced onto the few remaining roads that aren't, or else people, I don't know. I mean, there are lots of people who live in Sutton who have van-based businesses, you know, building, uh, uh, decorating, all of those different trades. Well, I think, Neil, one of, the, one of the facts, that I, if I recall, is that we have the highest uh, white van ownership in London in Sutton. And uh, if they're going to try and displace all of that, it's going to be a bit of a job. Yeah. And I think you might create a little bit of uproar of people who are trying to earn a trade and an honest living for their uh, for their families. Yeah. And uh, that seems, again, not to be very equitable. And just remember, yeah. the problem is, is people say, well, maybe they could park them on their drive or put a drop curb in. Yeah. But once you install a CPZ, then you aren't allowed to drop your curb because the CPZ is set in situ. And as such, no drop curbs will then be allowed to be put in after that CPZ. Forever. Put forever. Amen. Yes. Yeah, I don't think people have been really very clear on that. that no. If you if you already have a drive, then obviously you're okay. If you don't have one, maybe you've got a front garden for one, but you've decided to keep a front garden because your road is okay for parking. Suddenly you might end up paying 200 quid to park your car on the road. Mm. Off-street parking looks like an option. So firstly, we're then going to destroy a lot of front gardens, which isn't good from a flooding point of view, which tends to create a lot of hard standing, which creates runoff, you know, a lot more runoff than a garden. And then all those people uh, effectively then trying to bagsy their little bit of space in front of their house to avoid the charge. So I don't know, you know, long term that that could uh, that could be a real problem. But I think what's annoyed a lot of people um, is that it seems to be a one size fits all policy. Mm. And uh, They've just decided for the last two years to do nothing, and now they're imposing, look as though they're going to impose, this huge joined-up CPZ yeah. on a massive swathe of the uh, least well-off part of the borough, known as the Northern Wards, effectively. Yeah. And that is going to create its own problems. And there have been uh, groups set up by local residents now that we know of, the controlled parking his own group set up by uh, Sandra Ackland, for example, which is in a very short space of time attracted on Facebook 2,600 followers. And uh, that was set up because Sandra didn't know about it herself until very late in the day. And we managed to get the consultation extended. And that was 
part of our group did was we yep. went to the administration and said, this isn't good enough. We need it extended and we got it extended by two weeks. And even though I don't think that that was enough, it should have been extended by a bit more. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are saying they did not receive either the stage one or stage two consultation letters. Now, we can never prove that they did or they didn't, but there does seem to be a huge amount of angst in the area that, yep. uh, that it hasn't been done properly. And I think there's another problem as well. We've, we've seen or we've certainly heard of people who've had paperwork through their letterbox, which has said one thing. Uh, and then they've gone online. There's a web page you can go to. It's uh, I'll put the link in the notes for the podcast, but it's sutton.gov.uk slash parking have your say, where parking have your say is all one word. You can go on there, type your road name in. And some people have found that they went on there, typed their road name in and got different information there uh, than what they thought was happening from the letter that had gone through their letterbox. So that, and I think the concern is that creates a lot of confusion. Um, if you go on there, if you go on there onto the website I just mentioned and look it up, you'll, you can download a, a map of what they're proposing, but it's quite confusing and hard to understand. Mm. And so I think the combination of people not seeing it, people not understanding what it was, people trying to interpret it and not making sense of it, I think there's a real irritation that people are now discovering that if they have not uh, specifically opposed having a CPZ, having controlled parking on their road, then that's being seen almost in a sense of assenting to it. Yes, and that is part of the problem, something I've spoken to two of the very senior officers about. Does a, Will a non-response be taken as agreement? And there seems to be a, a real confusion on whether that is going to be the case. I had a meeting yesterday with uh, some of the senior officers who are rolling this out, and uh, we were told that they'd had around about 5,500 responses out of 43,000 letters, which... By my maths, is around about twenty percent, I suppose. Not even that, is it? It's a, it's a bit more than ten percent. Ten percent would be four and a half thousand. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah a bit sorry, more than you're that. right. My maths is yeah. awful. Um, but so therefore, we could be implementing CPZs in areas where the response rate might be as low as five percent. Yeah. Um, I think so. I, I think certainly my view, looking at it, is that some of the problems that they're trying to address are real problems. Oh, yeah. And I think some of the people who are seeing this consultation happening, some of the residents are quite happy that it's that it's happening. They're seeing mm. real parking pressures on their road, particularly roads near town centres, roads near the hospital, those kinds of things. Uh, and of course, the fact they've been starved of any anything at all for two years because the council's refused to do anything has obviously built up a pressure. Mm. And I think my concern is that some of those good schemes that are within this, we, we need to somehow make sure that they do happen and happen properly. But it's sort of, as you say, this one size fits all approach where they just almost seem to want to carpet the whole borough with a CPZ off the back of some people who want to do it. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a worry that, uh, you know, people might assume that what they're doing uh, doesn't affect them but of course if they put a cpz in near your house that's going to displace parking onto your road so maybe your road was fine and soon it won't be um, and i think the other the other issue in this i think is as you've said there's there's a planning policy that seems to encourage parking on the road there uh, and certainly discourage people providing off-street parking um, and they, they're then proposing this as the solution to the problem that they've created. But what, what worries me is looking at some of the statements from the Lib Dem councillors behind this, is that when they talk about solving the problem, I think what residents think they mean is making it easy and convenient to park and get around. And I think if you listen carefully to what they say, the problem that I think they're trying to solve is the fact that, that in their view we have too many cars and they just want to price cars off the road. You know, uh, councillor... Abalan, who's the main councillor 
sort of pushing this project. He's referred to the fact that Sutton has one of the highest levels of car ownership in, Sutton, in London, which is not surprising because we're an outer London borough with, compared with the rest of London, relatively low public transport. You know, we don't have the tube. The, Sutton, uh, the Croydon Tramlink just touches the edge of Sutton, doesn't really come in. We've just got Southern Rail and some Thameslink, which, uh, you know, it's quite uh, concentrated in some parts of the borough. So there are parts of the borough where really all you have are buses and people then need their cars. And I think it's not surprising we have a lot of cars. And I think if you, my, my worry is that is that smuggled in on the back of this sort of concern that they're expressing about people's difficulty parking is really a policy of just trying to price people off the road. I don't know whether it is that. Well, yes, there is that as well. And the revenue side is important here. How much money are they going to create from this? Mm. Um, we have seen um, the money that Merton creates from uh, the controlled parking zones. And I know it's probably a more concentrated area in Merton, but it's quite interesting to see that out of parking permits, they raised something like £4 million. But well, where they really made their money was out of enforcement, yeah. uh, which was people going around ticketing, uh, towing cars or lifting cars, taking them to a pound. And that's an interesting point because in yeah. Sutton over the last uh, 20 years, we abandoned the policy of uh, lifting cars and taking them to a pound. There is now talk about that coming back. Mm. And if your car gets lifted and taken to a pound, it will cost you probably a little bit over £300 to get it back. Mm. And Merton, through that, raised around about £15 million. Similar sized borough to Sutton. To Sutton. Yeah. Uh, £15 million, of which they have a surplus of getting on for £10 million. And they use that surplus, interestingly enough, because supposedly any money created for enforcement can only go on transport or highways. And the clever way they've done it is they've used it to pay off their concessionary fares and what I've been by concessionary fares is freedom passes for example for yeah. people over 60 so they're using nine and a half million pounds of that on paying off the freedom passes which in them in in the past would have come out the general fund yes so what they've done is they freed up nine and a half million pounds in the general fund and they're using it there to use not on make, maintaining roads but on paying that off so it gives them nine and a half million pounds to use on what they want and it worries me that that is what will happen here as well. Well, I think I think that's worth pointing out because one of the, so lots of people have assumed that this is a cynical money raising scheme, and of course the both the Liberal Democrats and the officers have been uh, very staunchly denying that and saying that by law they are not allowed to use this money for anything; they have to, it has to be ring fenced. Um, and so I think the point that I would make is that they can look you in the eye and tell you straight that they're not allowed to spend this money on what they want; it has to be ring fenced. But what happens is the ring-fenced fund, so they have the council general fund, which is all the money the council have they can spend on anything they like, and then they would have this ring-fenced fund for transport and travel-related costs. And the things they put into that fund can be things like the freedom passes that they're already paying for. So they would allocate the parking scheme money to that, releasing the same amount of money back into the general fund. So through sleight of hand, although legally they have to spend it on transport and travel uh, projects, in reality, because they're already spending some money on those things, they can just, where the money actually ends up is in the general fund. That's where the, so if they get 10 million extra in, where the 10 million pops up is actually in the general fund to spend yeah, on what they It's a like. substitution, basically, yeah, for, for, for that. And, uh, and I think that uh, people will become more cynical if they think that that is really going on, because mm. they'll just see it as a, as a cash cow to hit, hit the motorist. And it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, 
about the poorest in the borough possibly uh, having the uh, not being able to afford uh, the most up-to-date cars who are yeah. the ones the nurses who have to get up maybe not to go to St Helier but to go to St George's at two in the morning or a bus driver who's got to get to the bus depot when there are no buses so he needs his car to to go out and come back and they're the people who are going to be hit the hardest and it's it's not very fair no, I don't think on um, the way that uh, they're, they're going to try and roll this out and that's why there are so many groups out there who are very anti this policy per se and i suppose that gets us to the point well where do we go now i suppose with yes. regards to it so so in terms of what's happening next i think we mentioned this earlier so there's the the, the first it, it's a bit complicated because there are different stages and different phases so yep. the stage so the stages refer to different areas so currently they're doing basically as you said earlier the sort of the area around sutton town center itself um and the area around st helia hospital um yep. That's now moving on to the next phase. So currently they're consulting on some ideas. Um, and the next phase of the consultation that you'll see from that, that should, well, it, it, it's dragged on, but I think they have now finally closed it. So they'll now be going away, compiling the response to those, to, the, to that consultation, the sort of informal consultation they've just been doing. And then they're going to come back February, March, maybe April, with firm plans, which will be an actual proposal this is what they want to do and there'll be another 21 days of mm -hmm. consultation on that and then if they get unless there are enough objections that will go through and then you'll see that being implemented sometime between the summer and the autumn something like that but then there are other areas so the next area they're going to look at which will go back to phase one which is this initial putting out the feelers stage that's going to be in Cushalton beaches belmont and cheam areas roughly speaking and that's going to start in the spring, we think? Yeah, we think possibly after Easter, April, May, I think that that's but when they'll start to come out. Certainly if you live in those areas, then keep an eye out for bits of paper that look like a definitely. parking consultation. Don't ignore them because uh, it's very important that you have your say on this because even with displacement parking, if an area close to you gets hit, you might get hit with it. And uh, so it's very important you keep your your eyes and ears open for those. Yep, definitely. And in terms of what we will be doing, there's a council meeting coming up, full council meeting on the 28th of January. So we're sitting here now recording this uh, the 10th of January. So in about two weeks time, there's a full council meeting. And are we, what are we doing at that council meeting? Well, we're going to be putting a motion forward, uh, which is going to try and suspend this process at the moment so that there is more time to look at it, logically to look at it, to examine the policies in greater detail so that people don't get hit by some of the stuff we've been talking about here today and we will be putting that forward to full council on the 28th and uh, to try and pick out so we can preserve some of the benefits correct i think i think it you know i think we need to be careful that we're not trying to block this whole thing there definitely no. is a problem with parking and we want to try to get it sorted lots of residents of course also as well so it's it's mainly about trying to keep the good without having this one-size-fits-all approach that I think, I mean, my, my fear, I think, is that it's going to introduce as many new problems as it solves. Yes, that's absolutely right. And people can come, so that meeting, 28th of January in the evening, 7 o'clock, yep. at, uh, it's at Carshalton College on Nightingale Road in Carshalton. That's open to anyone. You can come along. You don't have to be there on time. It'll, there'll be half an hour or so of questions and things about possibly other topics before we get to this. I would imagine our motion uh, will come up around about 8.30. Uh, but it'll be interesting for people to come on and listen to the arguments that are put forward 
by both sides, mm. uh, by the administration and by ourselves, uh, to see whether or not we can come up with a consensus and a compromise that will alleviate some of the problems that we've been talking about here today. Well, I certainly hope so. I look forward to seeing some people on the 28th, hopefully. Yes, please turn up. We'll be delighted to uh, shake your hand and have a chat with you. Thanks very much, Tim. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. And finally, a quick update on the street sweeping and litter bins. Many people have noticed that the streets in Sutton are not as well swept as they used to be and that the litter bins are quite frequently found to be overflowing or with litter piled up around the side of them. Certain hotspots in particular seem to be persistently having a problem. And what's frustrating to us is that I think the Liberal Democrats running the council are trying to suggest that somehow this is all the government's fault and the problem is that they haven't been given enough money to sweep the, sweep the streets and this is somehow just a new normal that we all have to get used to. And what I'm here to tell you is that that just is simply not the case. What we have is a contract to do this with Veolia and the contract specifies very clearly the standard that they have to adhere to. So on litter bins, the contract says that no litter bin should ever be full or overflowing. That should simply not happen. And as soon as it's reported, Veolia really need to snap to it and get it cleared because there's a contract penalty if, if any litter bin is ever full or overflowing. And that penalty is repeatedly applied to them every two hours until they get it cleared. On street sweeping, it's a bit more complicated, but basically there are four grades, grade A, B, C and D set down by the government. Grade A, essentially spotless. Grade B means it's clean, the odd little bit of litter here or there, but no build-ups, no accumulations, and it should basically look clean. Grade C is where you're starting to get little build-ups and accumulations of litter or debris. And then grade D is where it just looks generally scruffy. And the contract we have says that all streets, when they are cleaned, must be cleaned to a grade A standard. And town centres, which are cleaned every day, should be maintained at a grade A standard. And residential roads, they are allowed to fall to grade B in between cleans, but then they need to be cleaned back to grade A the next time they're cleaned. And remember, grade B still looks like a clean street. There's the odd bit of litter here and there, but it still basically looks clean. What we're seeing in Sutton is quite a lot of grade C and grade D. And in the contract with Veolia, that should never happen. So in terms of funding, we are paying Veolia to carry out a level of service that I think if they were actually achieving it, I would be delighted with. And I think most people across Sutton would be delighted with. The streets would be clean, the bins would be empty, and all would be right with the world. The problem is, and this is what we're struggling to get to the bottom of, the problem is there's this big gap between what the contract specifies Veolia need to achieve and what is actually being achieved out there on the streets. And the Liberal Democrats have been very, um, very secretive exactly about why that gap uh, is there, why it is that we're not getting the service that we're paying for. And this is why it's so frustrating for us, because we see this excuse being wheeled out that it's somehow because of austerity, which we know not to be true. But because this is the line that they're sticking to, makes it very hard for us to really dig into what's actually going on and therefore how this thing might actually be solved and to achieve the service that we are paying for. So to that end, we as the opposition brought a motion to a proposal to the council in December, which set out a plan to publish all of this data, to publish all of the targets that Veolia 
uh, have agreed to achieve, all of their performance against each one of those targets, and then the number of fines that we're deducting from the contract for failing to hit the service. And I think uh, the Liberal Democrats, I think, couldn't really object to doing that, so they agreed to follow our plan. So we can look forward in the next month or two to that data being published and available publicly. And I think that's going to be a useful first step for us to understand exactly what the problem is, which I think is then going to allow us to apply some pressure to get the problem solved. And hopefully what you will see as a result of all of this is that the roads will be swept clean, the leaves will be cleared and the bins will not be overflowing. I suspect the other big obstacle to all of this is going to be making sure that where there are uh, failures, where the streets aren't swept and bins are overflowing, that there is actually reporting of that back to the council. And I think that's probably where we're going next. So that will be your job as residents, hopefully, to get that information into the council. Because I think at the moment, because all this information is hidden, the performance data is all hidden, and there doesn't seem to be a very snap-to-it response when you do make reports, I think people feel that there isn't any point in making a report. And so I suspect when the official data is published, what it will show is a very rosy picture that doesn't match reality. So keep them peeled, hopefully for some improvement in the service in the medium term. And in the short term, hopefully we can be reporting back to you in a future podcast to let you know how you can access all that information and what the data is from Veolia so that at least you can know what's going on, even if we haven't yet achieved the level of service that you are actually paying for. But in any case, don't let them kid you that this is the new normal and somehow we just have to settle for what they're providing at the moment. And that's it for the first episode of Sutton Wire. I hope you found it interesting or at least informative. We'll be back next week. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, various other places, wherever you get your podcasts. And that will allow you to get episodes automatically as we publish them. Thank you very much, and I'll speak to you next week. Thank you.